Hi, Scott here. Just a quick thing before we roll into the episode. Just recently, I've put together this little uh, free guide for DIY indie labels that basically takes a lot of the knowledge and wisdom that I've heard from these label owners and managers that I've interviewed through these episodes, I distill some of that information and I put it into this little PDF that you can get by going to otherrecordlabels.com. I think you'll find it really helpful. There's a lot of cool stuff in there. It's a free guide. So make sure you go to otherrecordlabels.com to check it out. Hello and welcome to a new episode of Other Record Labels. Happy 2019. If you've been following along since the beginning, thank you. And we took a little break over the holidays. However, I've been in interviewing um, a bunch of new labels, and this is going to be the craziest batch of, of labels um, that we've ever had, starting right now today with Sub Pop. This is the absolute truth that, you know, if you are starting a podcast where you plan to interview independent record labels, then your ultimate dream is to interview Sub Pop. They are right there at the top, you know, the... the, the um, the first label to sign um, Nirvana, don't hold me to that, but I'm pretty sure. Um, and then of course, you know, Flight of the Concords and, and Fleet Foxes and Father John Misty and um, and the Shins and Postal Service, um, just name after name of, of and, and new stuff too, and, and new artists that they're, all, they're already signing and, and have made an impact this past year. Thank you for listening on. If you're if you're just checking out the podcast today, make sure you visit us at otherrecordlabels.com. You can email me at info at otherrecordlabels.com and make sure you check out our previous episodes and please subscribe. If I had gotten my act together over the holidays, I was hoping to put together a Patreon page for this podcast, you know, with some t-shirts and stickers, but I didn't get my act together. Instead, I just relaxed and interviewed some great labels like this one, Sub Pop, with the marketing director, Carly Starr. What an honor. First of all, thank you so much for doing this. This is like, this is the end for me. After doing this podcast, this is the, the <laughs> I've, I've hit the, the summit now. <laughs> There's nowhere to go from here. Oh, geez. <laughs> it's true. Thank you very much. Of course. Uh, we're talking today with Carly Starr um, from Sub Pop, home of the Shins and Postal Service and Fleet Foxes and Band of Horses and 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 many, many more. I'm really curious, um, as I was going through everything and realizing the history, and I mean, it's 30 years um, this year. Happy birthday. Thank but you. I, I'm so curious, like, basically, how does a 30-year-old label that has sold millions of records still maintain indie cred? How do you stay gritty and cool and not become this massive label? That's a really good question. <laughs> um, you know, it probably comes down to um, one of the co-founders and co-presidents, Jonathan Poneman. Um, he still is very active in sub pop and has really maintained its, what he sought out to do is just, you know, put out music he loves. Um and there's a lot of other key people that I work with that have been here for a really long time. And even though we've grown, I think, pretty significantly over the past 10 years or so, mm -hmm. um, it's still the same. It's still the same. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. How, it's a total trip. Yeah, for sure. How does the... Um... I mean, I mean, I imagine that over the years, there's probably been things that the label, opportunities that label has turned down in order to kind of maintain that core uh, mission and vision. Is that true? Um, 
Yeah, you know, and I think it's I think it's more of oh, man, you know, I think a lot of times we get really lucky right. with the bands that you know we we um start working with and build relationships with and that want to continue to work with us and vice versa. Um you know, this past year was one of the crazy years where almost all of our current bands wanted to put an album out. It just happens that oh, way that right. some years are really, really busy and then others are, are lighter. Um, right. And this year's coincided with the, the 30th as well. Yeah. Oh, that's um, kind of nice. Yeah, it was, it was a lot. But um, yeah, it's been... Um, can, the, can the label, with the size of the label and the expectations that come with the brand... Is Sub Pop still able to take chances on weird music or is there oh, a little... for sure. Yeah? Yeah. And I think um, having our more, um, you know, uh, having a, 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 a few key significant bands that you know are going to do, you know, X are, makes it makes it able to take smaller, right. smaller risks. Right. Um, and it's really cool when you can kind of team those, those bands up with each other and hopefully some of our larger acts will take the smaller ones out on tour and um, mm. it's a, yeah. Well, and I think it, it is because of that. It's because we, you know, have such a strong back catalog, um, a lot of really, really current artists that are doing really, really well um, that we're able to take smaller chances. Speaking of um, larger artists and, and weird music, I want to, I have to say I am, so excited for this low record that's coming out. Now, these episodes are recorded like months in advance. So I'm going to call it right now. And I bet you when this episode comes out, it, it may be at the end of the year. And I'm going to, I don't want to jinx it, but I think that that's going to be like a top five, top three album of the year for everybody, that new low record. That's awesome. I'm calling yeah. it. I'm calling it. You heard it here first. Isn't it? <laughs> I, I've actually, Isn't it so amazing? Well, and I mean, um, I've, I just heard the, the It in Full on NPR this week, but yeah. I've played those three songs like maybe a thousand times this summer. Yeah. It's mind-blowing. Yeah. It's so great. Here's um, a really cheesy segue. So okay. I grew up in Wisconsin. And okay. I have been seeing Low perform since I was like 16. Oh, um, wow. And it's just—it's such a trip to be able to work with them, and you know, I've been at Sub Pop for go almost sixteen years. Wow! So, but just like having a band like that consistently in my life that I'm a fan of, and then having them put out this album is like so awesome to see. You know, people's responses to it and just, oh, yeah, it's amazing. I think it's, I think some of the reviews I'm reading already, it's interesting because it's because of their history and because of their longevity to be able to put out a record like this, like of that Yankee Hotel quality. I think a lot of people, it's, it's even more special than if it were just this brand new band. Totally, totally. Well, I'm really excited to hear that. And I hope I don't jinx it, but I think Pitchfork will put it in the top three. (laughs) I certainly am. Knocking on wood, whatever that is next (laughs) I wanted to ask you about the historical sound of the label, that Seattle sound. Like even on your website, you joke about exploiting that grunge sound. Uh, How do you, um, how do you stay true to that primal sound and, and, um, and, and still evolve and experiment. It is such an iconic sound, but it's also tied to 
the '90s and tied to certain records. Um, and do you guys still reference that sound? Do you still exploit that? What does that mean to you guys? Um, I think you know there's been waves of what the Seattle sound is. Okay, right. Um, and this is just my opinion, of course. But you know, I think you know going back to when the label started and and the grunge days, like it's we're. You know, we have a new Mud Honey album coming out in a few mm. weeks, and we still are doing reissues and deluxe versions of um, some of the catalog from the early '90s, right. and people still love it. Right. And then you have like um, different phases of when I think of like Fleet Foxes and Head in the Heart and other you know local bands mm-hmm. and Band of Horses. Like you know, there's different throughout the label's existence i think the sound you know in doing some air quotes here Mm -hmm. sound of seattle has changed it's not just grunge right um yeah does that make sense no it does and and what i thought was really interesting uh, and you guys are are based with seattle and my goodness i somebody needs to do a a a thesis on like why so many labels come out of the pacific northwest because i don't really (laughs) I don't know why, but we've interviewed tons, more so yeah. than in New York, but it seems like a great scene. Yeah. And I just wonder if it's because there's so many transplants here. Like it's kind of mm. rare that you meet people from. Oh, really? Yeah. From the Northwest originally. Oh, okay. Yeah, maybe. You know? <laughs> so you're not know. giving it, or, you're not giving Seattle any credit. You get, you get like two months of sunshine and then the rest of it, you're kind of like right. inside thinking of what are you going to do? Yeah. Um, what's interesting about um, Seattle and one of the things I read about the label is in the early days, um, I think it was a founder who really clung to Seattle and, and the founders believe that I believe that a label needed a region as part of their identity, like Motown uh-huh. or, or Sun Records in Memphis. Is that regional basis still applicable today? I would say so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Jonathan, one of the founders, definitely feels uh, very proud to be in Seattle. Mm. Um, and like even where we our offices are, downtown Seattle, they've always been downtown Seattle. Oh, okay. Um, kind of just like in the thick of it. And so I think he feels a really strong connection to the city, to the Northwest. Um, And it's kind of, it's rad over, you know, the past few years, many years, I guess, seeing other labels pop up like Barsook and Suicide Squeeze and, um, you know, just having Mm -hmm. friends and more colleagues here because sometimes it can feel kind of isolating. Right. Is that... Is that still true today for other labels? Do you think? I mean, because it, it was—it sounded like from what I read that it was like an entrepreneurial thought that he had that he needs to identify with a region in order to kind of uh, as a as a branding thing. Do you think that's true uh-huh. for other labels? <clears throat> I think so. I do. <laughs> that's good. I, I'm, con- you know, I'm like, not I sure. Think yeah. Of, like, when- when I was like growing up, I was really into like Jade Tree or, you know, like right. um, you can, I can look back at like other labels and kind of like associate bands that they worked with. And it's usually, there's a lot from a particular area. Um, I guess Jade Tree was East Coast and I'm thinking of more Midwest bands, but um yeah. Well, I think there is some sort of mystery and romance with a city you've never been to or that you're as far For away. Sure. 
and sure. you know even just like Memphis or or New York City to to people in Europe or you know I'm Canadian so anything on the the west coast is so intriguing to me <laughs> that people yeah. you know, so interesting I um I wanted to, I found this really cool, actually, just kind of a side note. Um, this this podcast, Other Record Labels, focuses on indie record labels. And I just learned that sub pop means subterranean pop, which started as a magazine for American yeah. indie, indie labels. Is that true? Yes. It was kind of like a fanzine that Bruce, um, Jonathan's partner, started. Um, Are there copies kicking around the office? I don't think I've ever seen one. Really? Oh, no. interesting. And it was, <laughs> yeah. was it geared towards like labels or was it just about labels? Uh, I'm sorry. I'm challenging question. your history. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm sorry. Um, I think I've heard a few different versions okay, of this. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, and he also had Bruce. I think at the time also had like a radio show that he was calling by that name. This could be wrong. Now oh, I could okay. just be giving you wrong information. So, do you like? Do you know when it was chopped off? Like when it just became sub pop? Um, it must have been like the late eighty, not eighties, eighty nine, okay. maybe. Yeah, probably yeah. when it became yeah uh, an actual label. Right, yeah, right, right, right. The you know we talked about. Um, I've talked about this a, a lot with with other labels, smaller labels who um, who have their own kind of distinct sound. But when you know when we look at the bands like um, Postal Service, you know, uh, versus Fleet Foxes or something like that, or or the Head and the Heart versus the the new Low Record, there's very few sonic similarities um, yeah. between these records. But they're they've all they're all successful, like. What do you think makes a successful record? Do you think there needs to be a common thread for record labels in the sound? Or, um, I don't mainly because we're we don't yeah. <laughs> right now. Yeah. Like our roster varies so much, um, and you know, I think it's one of the best things about working at Sub Pop is that it, you know, I've, even though I've been here for such a long time it never gets old because you're working with new bands but even if they're the same band you're constantly working with different albums and we genuinely try to approach each release as its own thing Hmm. um and come up with its own marketing plan and what if we put out you know five tracks ahead of release from that album and how about we do like a really shortened release plan for this album and let's try to get video done in time for the album launch. And um, we're constantly kind of tweaking what we do. And a lot of it, you know, comes from the actual band and how much they want to participate and what ideas they're bringing to the table. Um, Lowe had a totally clear vision of, you know, we want to do these three songs prior to release. We want these, oh, okay. you know, these videos are done beforehand, um, which is always so awesome when a band comes in kind of knowing that and then right. you can help them see that through. Right. That was you such know? a great idea, especially on a record where if you were to just isolate a single and show it to people, right. uh, you know, whereas that trilogy... I mean, I took that trilogy on walks this summer and it was like just being in a mini movie, you know, like it's just yeah. insane. 
Yeah. That's, that's totally. so cool. Is there, so if there's the sound isn't a common thread, in your opinion, is there a common thread? Is there something? Is it the songwriting? Is it the, the creativity of the artists? What do you think it is? I guess I feel like the common thread more comes from sub pop and not so much the albums, you mm. know, everyone, um, in order to like kind of sign a band or to have to put an album out, people here genuinely have to love it and be excited about it. Right. And, um, so that is the one thing that sticks out to me and it's really cool because no matter how different, you know, the bands are or the albums are, it's so cool, especially when we just had like our big 30th, when, when bands get to meet and you would never expect certain bands to kind of hit it off and become friends with each other <laughs> right. because they sound totally different. And it's, it's a really awesome thing to watch because I do feel like the, the connection maybe is just the label. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, that is really cool. It's kind of like when, um, <laughs> like when two TV shows do like a crossover episode on the same network. Yeah but in a much yep. cooler way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, at times it can feel like, well, this is totally random. And then you're <laughs> right. like, but it's working. Yeah. Like, I don't know. <laughs> you know. Um, the, the growth of sub pop in the history of the label is heavily linked to Nirvana. Can you explain that connection and, and what impact Nirvana has had on sub pop? Um, you know, I think it's had an, I think it's probably had the biggest impact, obviously. Right, it's the, right. The biggest impact. You know, it's kind of um, people are still discovering that album in that band. Wow. Daily wow. and weekly. Yeah. Wow. You know, and, and even though <laughs> we wouldn't maybe think that, like the sales and the streaming numbers, but our, people are still discovering it. Unbelievable. And yeah. It's kind of. Um, it's a really cool thing to watch still. And especially being on the other end, you know, I was in middle school when Nirvana started yeah, same. blowing yeah. up and to be able to remember that and to <sighs> still see it, like kind of be relevant is really, really awesome. It's such a magical thing about music. It, yeah. It, to, to think I actually heard, um, to quote the great philosopher John Mayer, I, I actually heard him talking about something and, and, and how he was kind of lamenting that his fans, some of his fa he lost some of his fans, but he said when it comes to like young music fans, they keep making more of them. There's, you may have lost those people, they may have become parents or something, but they just keep making more college-age students who like music. And I think that's kind of the, the magical thing of, of like Nirvana. It's like, I, I, I remember listening to some of those records at like house parties and not house parties, but like basement parties in grades seven right, and eight yeah. and, um, and seeing kids wearing these t-shirts, but that's probably still happening for kids in grade seven or eight. Oh, today. totally. Yep. That's unbelievable. Yep. And yep. I think the, the beautiful thing too is, is to think if, if, and, and when that happens with father John Misty in 20 years from now, you know, right. people yep. are digging out their parents' records. <laughs> yep. And you'll know, it's like, you won't know, you don't know. Yeah. You don't know. Who knows what's going to be the next like hidden, hidden gem that comes like, comes back up. Like people all of a sudden are really into, you know, whatever. And yeah. I, I wonder like, 
you, you've been there for 16 years. Do you ever get a sense when something is just feeling really special? Like I was looking at some of your, what some of your biggest records and uh, the postal service, which I, I imagine at the, you know, it was a side project. It, uh, um, I imagine that must've been a little bit of a surprise uh, or, yeah. you know, or like just out of nowhere records like the head and the heart it has some of uh, what surprised you over the years. Um, yeah, a lot of what you mentioned, super surprising, but you can, you can sometimes tell, you can, you feel know, it. like, well, most of the time you can kind of tell and even internally, there'll just kind of be a buzz about right. certain things and, and it'll start to take off and, um, and then it just goes and goes and goes. And there's kind of been different, I feel like I've been here long enough to see different waves of it. Um, and more recently, uh, this year, the one that, and it's so interesting too, and be especially you know because you're in Canada, and even though it's just across the border, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there's you know it like Wolf Parade, and we work with a handful of Canadian right. bands that mm. are just do really really well in Canada, and so having that phenomenon happen, like so this year, like you mentioned, Low, mm. Low is like they're doing great here in the states, but they are so massive overseas. And just seeing all of that stuff unfold in the UK um, wow. on this album is so awesome. And in France and Germany and the Netherlands. But in particular, this year, there's this band called that we work with from Australia called Rolling Blackouts Coastal Fever. Yes. And okay. Yeah, they're doing pretty well here. And I think, you know, everywhere. But the same thing. It has just like taken off in the UK. Wow. And... They're headlining the Coco in London, and it's about to sell out, and that's not until October. Um, but you can just tell there's something there. There's something there, and I think that is another one, especially for UK magazines, that will end up in the top five like best albums. Wow, I actually and it's such a cool thing to be like to kind of witness because it's still pretty early. Like this right. is their first full length album. Um, but yeah, that must have come out in the winter or something. Cause I remember that. I remember a lot of people tweeting about that and I listened to it a few times. I loved it, but I have to revisit that. Yeah. I'll have to send it to you. Okay. Um, it's, it came out, they had two EPs come out and then there, a few tracks came out this, um, earlier in the year and then the album came out in June. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I remember, yeah, I remember stuff coming out. Yeah. That's exciting. That's exciting when that happens with such a young it band. It is. Yeah. And like on the first album, you know, by the time we did like um, the third Shins album, we knew what we were in. Mm, <laughs> you know, we like right. kind of knew what we were dealing with. But when stuff like that happens on the band's first album or even in like Lowe's case on their, I mean, what did we say it was? I don't even know what a low album this is. For right. Sub Pop, I feel like it's our seventh or oh, something. Wow. Uh, but it's over. But yeah. when something like this happens for uh, a band that has been around for a really, really long time, that's also equally as exciting. <laughs> right. You know? Um, yeah. And you can kind of tell. And Postal Service was like a whole different thing. You're right. Because it was a side project. They weren't really going to tour. And uh, well, even totally took off. Even electronic music back then, probably yeah. like not, not huge in the, in the mainstream. You right. Know, in the early 2000s. Right. And then, you know, another weird one was Flight of the Concords. Oh, right. Uh, you know, yeah. like, um, 
they, Brett and Jermaine were, it started off as just music and then they did the, the HBO series. Oh, so the, the sub pop release came before that series? It was, uh, I can't remember what came before, but they were like a band. Like I think we had signed our deal with them before any TV. I, I haven't noticed, maybe I'm, maybe I'm, maybe I just haven't noticed, but it seems like your label has uh, hasn't jumped on a bandwagon or hasn't like tried to like go all in on a genre when things go well, like after Postal Service, tons of electronic records, or after Fleet Foxes, everything was folks and beards and stuff. Or, or same with comedy records. Like it seems like you do something and then move on. Is that is that intentional? Um, I. That would be great if it was intentional. I think, you know, I feel like we work with a fair amount of comedians and um, more like, you know, I feel like we work with a lot of different genres. And within that, we have a lot of bands in those genres. But yeah, I guess we're not like chasing down um, just because we signed this band and that seems to be going well. Let's try to find the next thing similar to that. Yeah. Um, Because when someone's doing it so well just let that person take That's care great. of it, you know? That's great. Yeah. No, it's great. And let other people copy you. It's always better to yeah. be the one copied than the yeah, co- one exactly. copy. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about marketing a little bit. And that's your role. I'm sorry. What is your title? I'm marketing director. Marketing director. And and this is, yeah. I, I mean, it's kind of, um, it's, it's kind of interesting as we're talking about low and this record is, is as it's happening right now. You said that the band was interested in, in in debuting these three songs and these three videos that went with it, and that happened. When did that happen? Was that like May or June? Yeah, I think it was. I think it was. I can't remember specifically, but it was May or June, and um, I think they had a tour coming up, and they either wanted to announce the tour dates with that or. Um, they were over there playing dates, okay. which I think they were playing dates overseas, and then we we announced it. Can Can you give me an uh, some insight into this thought process of when the record is done and mastered from mm-hmm. the band, and 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 it's um, and when you say okay, this is going to be the release date because because you know to the folks at home, September fourteenth, I believe is this whatever this Friday is 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 the yeah. the release date. You you gave these three singles back in May, June, which is a huge gap, especially if the songs are so damn great. It's kind of frustrating. So what is that thought process? Like it's, and, and what kind of, um, targets do you try to hit in between there, um, for, for records like, like low as an example? Um, so we, you know what, I'm going to just quickly walk to my desk where I have all of this written oh, down okay. so I don't totally screw it up. <laughs> um, hang on one second. Do you remember when the band first, like, showed the label the record or? Um, yeah. So that must have been. So we'll, somehow we'll work you know, like you just kind of said backwards, like a band will finish their album and turn it in. And then, um, we usually say we need at least like 22 weeks before 
that's the release day, wow. you know? Yeah. Um, so they hand us the album and we're like, okay, 22 weeks from now is this date. And is there already anything scheduled that date? Like let's mm. kind of, so it doesn't always happen at that exact time. And we try to get, you know, we try to be a little bit smart with it. Like even if they turn something in, but couldn't tour for like two years after, then maybe we should wait or, you know, okay. try to have conversations like that. Okay. Can, um, I'm sorry. Can I interrupt you while we're, cause I just have questions while we're doing this. Yeah. So yeah, please. <clears throat> you said that 22 weeks from when they handed in now talking about that release date, um, is there any conversations that happen that say, okay, so the first thing you said was that you make sure there's no conflict. So I assume you mean conflicts with, within sub pop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But what about like, other labels? Like what about if, if like some other huge bands releasing on that day, will you try to avoid that? No. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's great. Good. No, we lean into it. No, um, <laughs> no, honestly, we probably usually like don't know at that time. Right. Okay. That's um, true. Yeah. If, if anything else has been scheduled that's on that date point. and you, you can kind of, you know, get the sense of like, oh, well, you know, everyone really, because it's true. Usually people really want like a fall release mm. or something going into summer. People don't normally want like a midsummer release because yeah. it can be tricky. And um, a lot of it is like when, when they have tour dates planned or what they're hoping to get and are there festivals, you know, it, we try to take into consideration like the the bigger picture, but like, for real. And this is, I'm, I'm kind of like the, the deadline task master, <laughs> right, I guess. Right. Um, like for real, if we don't have 22 weeks, it is a stress on everyone. Yeah. Um, just getting the production done and, and the artwork and, and all of that. Like, so it is like kind of starting from scratch when they hand us the album, it's like, okay, what are we going to do? Right. Um, and, and like to try to do everything, we need 22 weeks, please. You know? And there's there, I mean, like you said, the fall is, is such a great time. I mean, I feel like there's this huge, like implicit subconscious, um, feeling that where like records are just received better in the fall. Like I appreciate things better in the fall, like culture tastes better in the fall. Um, so that's gotta be a thing. You've got to look and think the kids are back in school, college is in in session, you know, September is a great time for that. Yep. And, yep, and exactly. what, and what about, um, like holidays, like the Friday leading into Thanksgiving, that's a no, no, I guess that's black Friday for you guys. I know. Yeah. Um, you know, we try to steer clear of it and I'm trying to think if, yeah, you know, we'll have like a black Friday thing and then sure. that's it. And then it's always a question of like, well, how early in January should we try to push it? Should we try to do like the second Friday in January? And right. um all of a sudden beca- January has become a thing because it's usually like a, a quieter month, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And do you um I mean, I guess like do year ends matter to you at all? I mean, like it's like I've seen a lot of records come out at end of November and they're and they're great records, but people are already working on their lists or released their list. Right. Do you care about that? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, we usually don't have November releases. Oh, okay. We do this year. Um, we're doing a Jay Maskus album on November 9th. Okay. 
But I, honestly, as far as I can remember, we usually don't. And, and it, maybe it is for that reason, or I think everyone's everyone already kind of like switches off right, for the year. Right. Um, but that has been brought up as like a concern for January, February releases is like, oh, then we're going to have to remind people of how oh, great, like, yeah. you know, Frankie Cosmos came out yeah, uh, earlier right. this year. And yeah. that's a great album. And we're going to have to really make sure to remind people that it came out this year because... The the amount of music of really great music, not just from sub pop, that is coming out, is insane. You know. <laughs> right. <laughs> so okay. so so I'm just I'm so fascinated with this timeline, and 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 if there's anything you don't want to say, you totally just tell me to shut up. But yeah, yeah. The um when okay, so do you know with this low record, we're using this as an example. September fourteenth, the release date, perfect time of year. So do you know that? Would you guys have started this process 22 weeks before that? Where would that have brought us? Um, we probably did. It was a different type of um, release, though, because they did. the band had such a strong vision. Mm. Um, and they had a lot of these videos made themselves. Okay. Um, or at least, like, in the works, even prior to us, like, I think, having the final album. So that was, like, a really big leg up okay. um it is we we it it has proven very challenging to try to get uh a video completed when you uh launch an album that's when we what we call it an album launch but um when we do an, an album announcement which you know is anywhere between three to two and a half months prior to the actual release okay um and so we usually don't have our crap together enough <laughs> to right. have a video out with it. Sometimes we do. And in Lowe's case, they did a lot of work themselves on um, getting these videos made. They had such a strong vision. And then we um, launched that album earlier than we normally would have because they did have these upcoming tour dates mm. they wanted to include. So we launched that the Low album on um, June 12th okay. with three tracks. Okay, June 12th. And then... Yeah. When would have when would the the press get the uh, full copy of the record? I bet, um, especially in the UK, where I was mentioning they have you know they were on the cover of Wire. There's such good press that mm. has run for this album. I think almost probably around that time. Okay, yeah, just to like a really a, a small handful of people. Sure. Um, Definitely not like a, a big servicing whatsoever. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. And, and then um, we kind of held it because we did front load it so much with three tracks and three videos yeah. that we just put out um, the fourth track, Disarray. Mm -hmm. I remember like that. Like a month, a month ago or like on August 16th. Right. Yeah. And, and, uh, I mean, that's such a unique thing doing those three, three tracks and, and then that's it, I guess. Right. It was just four tracks and then the yeah. record's out Friday. Yeah. Um, yeah. so the thing for you, um, one of the, the kind of alarm bells or not alarm bells, but the, the thing that really piqued my interest in this record was a couple of uh, journalists, just writers on Twitter were just saying things like, I don't think people understand how great this low record is. And then another journalist who obviously had a copy of it was commenting on that. And I just thought, wow, like for journalists to be kind of like, you know, showing their hand ahead of time, just like not being able to keep it in. That's when I knew 
this must be a special record. That's awesome. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, so you, marketing director, you worked your way up from an intern. Is that true? That is true. Yeah. That seems kind of like an indie movie or something. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> Believe me. I had like a jar growing up in the middle of Wisconsin that I would put my change in and it was called Savings for Seattle. It's weird. Really? It's totally weird. Yeah. For, so for, for, for Sub Pop or like, did you always want to work in the music um, industry? Yeah. Both of those things. Oh. And I was weirdly oh, wow. obsessed with like even Sub Pop as like an eighth grader and grunge and everything. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. It's crazy. It is crazy. Um, (laughs) so yeah, I, I eventually moved out here and I was, I was going to school at Western Washington university and you can create your own major. And so, um, I created music marketing and, Some just I was just doing a bunch of internships, you know, working at the station, college radio mm-hmm. station, and booking shows and doing all sorts of stuff. And then um, got an internship at Sub Pop, um, and spent like six months here or so. Um, I think I did two, made two different classes out of it, so it was like two quarters worth. And then um, graduated and was just like moved down to Seattle was working at a coffee shop because that can't get any more stereotypical. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I got a call from Megan and the C, current CEO. Um, and she's been, I don't know why I said current CEO. She's Megan is like a, a staple. She's been here forever. Right, right. Um, and she was just like, Hey, do you, can you fill in for the front desk this week? Hmm. Um, Dave, who was playing at the shins at the time, was going on tour and so i was like great i'll just wake up super early to do my coffee shift and then come in and and just do the front desk and you know i kind of just i did this I had, is a honestly, movie this is a movie oh, yeah. this is a Zach yeah, I, movie. I had honestly like zero <laughs> expectations zero zero expectations and yeah. was just kind of doing my thing and um at the end of the week of just you know do answering the phones Megan was like, well, yeah, we'd love to uh, have you be um, Sean's assistant doing international marketing. And I don't even know what my face was doing. And all I'm such a freaking dork. All I remember saying was like, I need to at least give my coffee job two weeks. You know, like, so. (laughs) Sorry, Sub Pop, you're going to hang so I can pull some more shots for two weeks. Right. Well, that shows loyalty. But, uh, yeah. That's so funny. Unbelievable. It's pretty amazing. And um, I spent, I I guess, less than half, it feels like most of it was doing international marketing, which I loved, and then um, kind of moved into this position, which is uh, mainly because I replaced myself uh, with a wonderful guy named Ryan who who heads up our UK office. Um, It was at the time of Band of Horses and The Shins and, Mm. wow, lots of stuff that I, I was going and sounds very luxurious and at times it was, but I was going over um, overseas so much with our bands. And I just, I think we kind of all felt like we needed to, an office there right. to do everyone kind of justice and, and to be the intermediary between our distributors and just to have someone over there. And so uh, we hired Ryan and then luckily the position I'm in now opened up. So wow, that's, <laughs> I didn't have to go anywhere. But, that's amazing. Um, Congrats. That's so cool. Yeah. Do, yeah. do you, I'm, when I, when I think of marketing, I, I'm wondering, do you promote, is marketing director, is that um, primarily the, the artists and the releases or is marketing the brand and the label 
part of your job? Um, it's primarily the band and the releases. I do want it to be more of the label, but mm. um, I kind of, you know, weirdly, that's a, you know, it kind. Of, it's so interesting now because we have a a, a store at SeaTac Airport, and okay, yeah, I, I saw think that. Interesting. Sub Pop is like so icon. Like it's just like an iconic label that it kind of does its own marketing, right? makes me sound like a really lazy marketing director, but, um, <laughs> you know, I don't think we've been that in your face about, right. about the brands. Like we'd rather push our bands out and, and do that over sub pop brand. Yeah. But, um, yeah. And, you know, marketing kind of just includes, you know, looking after the, um, the core marketing group is our, our publicity department, our uh, social marketing department, our video department, radio, international. So there's a whole whole crew of great people. Um, a lot of us who run small one-person indie labels think of marketing as basically Facebook ads. <laughs> like, yeah. what marketing? Yeah, that's what I do too. <laughs> okay, okay. What I was going to ask you: What marketing advice can you give us? Like, where where should we be focusing our energy for these uh, one one person shops? Yeah, I mean, you probably nailed it. <laughs> it's insane how much social media has changed things, right? Um, and even like social media advertising. And I I think I have no clue if it's a good or bad thing, but I think we've all kind of grown immune. If you're, if you use social media, when you see an ad, mm. like you, people don't get upset about it anymore. Right. That's um, true. Yeah. And it is a really great cheap way to get the word out. Right. And to target, you know? Yeah. It's yeah. kind of crazy. Well, that's, that's interesting because uh, I, I know, you know, it is costly. It, it adds up. And, uh, but at the same time, like I look back and I think, wow, I've discovered things through personally, I've discovered records. I've had records pushed on me by major labels and then I've checked it out and I'm like, oh, this is a great record. So it it does, it does work on me and it's just, it's, it's hard to spend money on something like that. Yeah, it is. I feel like that's a a great way though. And, um, we, we do a lot of that and this year weirdly we have we've done a bunch of like outdoor advertising for our, oh. our larger campaigns but low is one of them um, really like billboards yeah, yeah like two oh, that's great. All, oh, especially in london like two posters and um interesting there's all a that stuff. there's a great label um in the uk erase tapes that the, like the ambient uh electronic uh-huh. label they have neils from and um I noticed they did a lot of that too, and in America this year to promote his record. And I think that's really cool. I think that's just kind of like organic and vintage. Like it's interesting. I yeah. love it. I was kind of surprised. I was like, we're doing this again. Okay. You know? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. And we've done a, a handful um, of outdoor advertising for a, a bunch of different bands this year. Well, it's interesting so, because it, like a billboard is so uh, iconic. And when yeah. I see, like I've never seen any billboards for Father John Misty or for um, or for this Niels Fromm record, but to see it on social media that these labels did billboards, yeah. it, it heightened my respect for these records or my interest because it was like, wow, they're doing a billboard? <laughs> yeah, right. You know, so that's yeah. kind of cool. 
I want to ask you, and I won't take up too much more of your time, but um, I want to ask you about what makes a successful album camp campaign, especially for some of us labels who who the artists maybe don't have a, a big tour lined up or um, we're not doing any out of home advertising. What what would you um, what would you recommend? What would you suggest uh, that um, that makes a, a successful album campaign starting from the beginning right to the release date? Mm-hmm. Um, even though I, I, you mentioned that artist touring, I would say the artist having the artist's involvement. Oh, okay. Um, you know, like if they um, come in and even if they don't have like a clear idea on a video or even what they want their photos to look mm. like, having them um, be involved in the process, being active on social media, not even like ads, but like on it, um, posting it's always nice and it's not like mandatory, but when they're a little bit vulnerable or more than they already are, but like <laughs> right. talking about what they actually like and what inspired the album. And, um, I think that goes a long way with fans is just feeling that connection. Mm. Um, that's, that's very true. Yeah. But so like having them involved and, 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 and play a part of it, um, as well as the label goes a really, really long way. Um, I think, you know, when, when all the stars align, it's, you know, them having a great tour lined up, um, putting out a few tracks beforehand and having people get really excited about them and those tracks being playlisted on Spotify. Um, and then the album comes out and the album gets great reviews and then the band just tours for like a year and, um, that goes really well, (laughs) but I know all of that, you know, that's the ideal situation. Um, which isn't always possible all the time. But I think, you know, we've been finding that not to take away from sub pop, but when the bands are more active and like kind of talking about their albums themselves, especially on social media, that goes a long way. Mm. That's true. I mean, that's a, that is a really good point. And I think there's, I've, I've worked on records where the artist is, far away from me so i'm not able to to do video stuff or or in in one case the artist was just uh lived out in the bush and just didn't have access to email but um and it's it's suffered i think even though there is like a i've always hoped that there was like a cool uh romance to that mystery of who this artist is but it has suffered as opposed to an artist who comes in here and says okay can i email these guys for you you know that really does help yeah yeah um, this has been so exciting and I, I am, I mean, to say I'm a, a fan of sub pop is ridiculous. Of course I'm a fan of sub pop. It's just, it's such a great label. And for this podcast, it's, it is the, the top of the mountain. And, uh, I, I am so grateful. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh, of course. No, it was my pleasure. I, I'm wondering, um, you know, in case I ever send a demo to Sub Pop, does Sub Pop still do the the Dear Loser letter? Is that a thing? Um, I we do not. Okay, <laughs> I, think, I don't think that would go over so well in today's right. world. Right, right. <laughs> well, it's funny how like w- back whenever mail was the main thing, like yeah, y- you would just show your friends, hey, look, I got this. But now, if you got like a really snarky email, it would be it would go viral oh, in man. a couple of seconds. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, we try to keep a little bit of the snark in there, but um, definitely have toned it down, I think. 
Uh, well, again, thank you so much for doing this. This has been a great, great time. Of course. Thank you. And thank you for listening. This podcast is produced by Other Songs. We're a small record label in Canada. And you can check us out on Instagram at Other Songs and on Twitter at Other Songs or at othersongsmusic.com. Subscribe to the podcast. Tell your friends. Um, if you have any questions or suggestions or you want to get involved in any way with your label, you can email me at info at otherrecordlabels.com. Oh, no. No, no, no. It's actually <laughs> it's actually podcast at otherrecordlabels.com. But what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to go make sure that info at otherrecordlabels.com works as well. But it's supposed to be podcast at otherrecordlabels.com. Thank you so much for listening, and thank you to Sub Pop. It, it, you know how to find Sub Pop, and, and, and no doubt in my mind you've already bought records from them, but you can check them out at subpop.com and make sure you give them a follow. Thanks so much for listening.